0: Welcome to the Smith Sense Podcast with Matt Smith. I'm Anthony Bruno, and in each episode, Matt and I discuss the real life struggles, ideas, and strategies of successful entrepreneurs and business leaders like himself. Unlike most of the startup or management advice that you see out there, these conversations don't come from a book or a TED talk, but rather from current daily ins and outs of an entrepreneur in the trenches, making it happen every day. In this episode, we talk about side hustles. One of the many consequences of the pandemic lockdown is that people are working more from home. For many, this means no commute, and that can translate to more hours in the day. What you do with those hours may vary. Some sleep more, some work more, some exercise more, and some just browse the internet more. But many may want to use this extra time to set up a side hustle, something that, once established, can't run on its own. Sounds great, but it's actually a lot harder than it seems. It's something that I've been thinking about myself, so I had lots of questions for Matt on this one, and he had plenty of helpful tips to share, including, A challenge on whether your side hustle is even the right move in the first place. So it's a great episode. I hope you enjoy it. And with that, here's Matt.
1: So yeah, we want to talk about side hustles.
0: Well, yeah. And and it's funny how when I have these ideas and then suddenly I just start seeing everything related to it in the world. I don't know if it's popping up or if I'm just more attuned to it. But like the other day, after we had discussed potentially talking about this in the podcast, I saw a headline that's like, you know, why the pandemic is a perfect time to start a company or something like that, right? I didn't actually read the story, obviously, because why would I do that? But (laughs) my thinking is basically, let me just clarify what I'm thinking about here is that things are starting to open up. So things are changing a little bit, but generally there's still a lot of people working from home and that has freed up a lot of time in terms of not having the commute that you might otherwise have. And there's other, there's lots of ways of utilizing that extra time. I certainly slept through it for the first part of the <laughs> and now I'm trying to, you know, avoid doing that. Yeah. So when I say starting up a business during the pandemic, I'm not saying how do I create a business that requires me to now work an extra two hours a day indefinitely. I'm saying how do I utilize this window of having this extra time to create something that let's say in, in the near future that window where to then close, whatever I've created is sort of self operational. Does that make sense?
1: It does. And I think the the larger point is is that Everybody has had a, well, most people at least have had a unprecedented period of downtime. And so the question is, what do you do with that downtime? You know, most people are like, well, you probably just watch more Netflix or whatever. But actually, I think that, you know, people get bored and people end yes. up doing something kind exactly. of productive. Some of the things that I've seen people do, and certainly I've done this myself, and you and I have talked about this a little bit, is gardening. I see lots of gardens that popped up in my neighborhood. Some of them were there already, but there are definitely some new ones. You know, people get bored and eventually they start doing something somewhat productive in an environment where there's probably more economic uncertainty now than there was, let's say, a year ago. You could use that time to create some side hustle or some opportunity to make money beyond the normal scope of what you do, whether you've lost your job or not.
0: Exactly. You hit the nail on the head, it comes down to that level of uncertainty, right? The gardening or the bread making or whatever, you know, first of all, which I fully, you know me, I support. I was, I was there. Anyway, that was already my hobby, right? But that was out of a degree of food uncertainty, right? So right. now for some there's going to be that level of economic uncertainty. If I did lose my job, do I have a side hustle that would at least soften the blow?
1: Yeah, and I mean it always makes sense, I think, to have, you know, this old idea about multiple streams of income that just because it does give you a sense of security, if you have a lot of savings, we talked to it in the past about having excess capacity, having extra savings in your bank account. And if you have extra savings, that gives you a lot of flexibility as well. But when you don't have that like big nest egg, one of the things that you should instead focus on to try and give you that leverage or that excess capacity is an additional source of income. And certainly opportunities like this are a good way to do it.
0: So with that, I mean, I know I've had some ideas, probably terrible ones. <laughs> but So I don't want to get this distant and to be focused on my idea by any means, but like the idea of if there's something that you're you have some expertise that you have some experience in, that you want to offer to others in a way that doesn't allow you to have to, or doesn't force you rather to have to actually work one-on-one with other people, like create a class online, or I don't know, like that's where I'm at. Maybe you can give some other examples because you're, you think about this stuff more than I do, but like maybe we start there. Like what are some categories of side hustles that can be created again? And I'm focusing this on one thing. And if you want to expand beyond it, that's fine. But the idea of using the time to create something that, afterwards lasts without you having to continue to put that same level of constant attention into it. Yeah. Okay. So tell me if I'm not making sense.
1: Cause I, no, I think you make sense. And I think that, but there's almost like an evolution of all of these things. Like you have been a communications professional for a long time. So there's a certain body of expertise that you have. And if you can somehow package that body of expertise into Something that's more like a product rather than a service, right? Then perhaps you could get something that the product could be making you money while you sleep. Like that's the dream, right? I, it's definitely worth exploring that. But I think it's I'd like to just back it up further to talk about like the kind of the evolution of how you get there, and talk about the really fundamentally how any of this is possible, and that really has to do with something that's has to do with basic economics, and has to do with something called value creation. When people know that they want to start a business, but they don't really know what to do. And I meet a lot of entrepreneurs like that. They really want to be an entrepreneur, but they really don't know what to do. Or people who have launched a business but really struggle to grow it, there's something fundamental. There's like a missing link in their thinking around an understanding of what value creation is and that value creation is what really powers economic growth and economic activity. So usually people are too focused on what they do and what they want and then trying to figure out how they might sell it or why, you know how they might get people to buy it in some way and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't scale that way. And I talked about the gardening thing earlier. So your activities, the way you choose to spend your time, have the potential for creating value. Now, my garden, for instance, does create value, but that value that's actually being created is totally uneconomical. I mean, it's like the equivalent of me being paid probably 15 cents or 50 cents an hour. One, because I'm not very good at it yet. <laughs> and uh, two, the food still is cheap and readily available, like comparatively. So it's like, I am creating value by doing it, but very little. And I can't for me to say, well, I want to be paid a living wage for tending regularly to my garden is asinine. It doesn't work that way. I'm not creating enough value to earn a living wage. I'm not creating enough value to earn a subsistence wage, you know, yeah, you're doing that. The first thing is understanding value creation and understanding that if you want to be paid more, whether you want to create a business that can make you wealthy, if you want to just have a side hustle that can... You know, help cover part of your mortgage payment, then you have to understand that you, the way to do that is for you to create enough value where that is justified, you, rather than looking for someone just to give you the money somehow. Right. And that's how people always think of it. A lot of times I think of it like a job, I need to raise. I need more money, so I need to raise. Just to summarize a
0: little bit, what you're saying here is saying that you're not, not focusing on what you do or what you want to do, but focus on what people need, that you can meet
1: that you can do. What right. do people need that I can do? Mm-hmm. And where's the maximum value creation within that? And, you know, one good barometer for you know, if, you're, if you're building a business and you're running into trouble, you know, we've heard the phrase, the customer's always right. And I usually take issue with that phrase because I think people have the wrong view of it. You know, they, I think they look at it like whatever the customer wants, the customer should have. And that's not actually its intended meaning is. What the real intended meaning is that it's the customer that decides The value that you're creating in a free market system. They decide. So if they decide that, you know, the lettuce that you grew is only worth a dollar, even though I spent the equivalent of 30 hours of man hours like tending to this lettuce, it doesn't make any difference to them. The 30 hours is not worth anything. They're going to give me $2 or whatever for the lettuce. So the customer is right in terms of how value is in a free market system of what the value actually is. So uh, you know, a side hustle, and just like any other business that's out there, is all boiled down to creating recognized value for others. And the more recognized value you can create, obviously, the more money you can make doing it. That's kind of my fundamental foundation around it, is focus on value creation, rather than the tactical stuff and how you do it. Because actually, there's a lot of things that you can do that are pretty simple that people think... Are beneath them and they don't want to do them. But depending upon the stage of development you are in your career, you should probably be focused on these things that you probably think are beneath you. I can give you some examples of that. Like right now, I can hear someone outside mowing the lawn. It's always like someone out in my neighborhood, you know, on <laughs> a weekday mowing the lawn. It's a little bit annoying, but you hear it all the time. And almost no one in my neighborhood mows their own lawn. They all have services that come and do it. And these services are all pretty awful, to be honest, they're not very good. They're not cheap, but you have like five guys that show up at once with all these industrial things for these tiny lots. And they're just like there with the industrial leaf blowers for 20 minutes and they're in and out, but you can't pay them to bend over and pull a weed. Like they just won't do it. They just don't do that. When I was a kid and maybe when you were a kid, lawn mowing was like a thing that you did to make money. It was something you did. Half a dozen people in my neighborhood whose lawn I mowed, most of them every week, but a couple of them every other week you know, and they had exacting standards for how things got done. And then they pay me at the end of it in cash. And it was great for me. It was a great job for me to have. And then you'd shovel the driveways during the winter. Mm -hmm. And all of those things are all still there. Everyone still needs their driveway shoveled. They all still need their lawn mowed. And more than ever, they don't do it themselves. And it's very easy to provide services around those types of things. And you might think, well, you know, but who would do that? Like there are other people that would do that. But most people don't do it very well. They aren't very proactive about it and they, you know they don't create much value when they do it. They don't do a great job and they're actually pretty expensive. So,
0: And there's also something to be said about, I guess, businesses that are done because to do things that people can do but they don't want to versus to do things that people just want to but can't.
1: Well, that's true. And which one you focus on really has to do with what your individual capabilities really are, right? Right. So if you're starting off a lower level on the, like don't have as much experience or trying to figure out what to do, that's why so many people have been drawn into being Uber drivers and being part of DoorDash and Instacart and stuff like that. Those can be very good side hustles for people depending upon where they're at. But what they have to understand is they, they have characteristics. Those side hustles have the same characteristics that having an employer has. Fundamentally, a lot of the value gets aggregated at the employer level, you know? Right. You sell your time essentially to the employer for some certainty about your income and the employer's kind of making a bet that they can basically aggregate your labor and other capital and other people's labor in a way to create more value than the cost of those things. That's what an entrepreneur is fundamentally betting. And an employee is trading the certainty of it. And this is a very common thing. Farmers do this. Farmers trade certainty for potential profits when they basically, they have a giant wheat crop that's due in September. And you don't want to, you're worried about the price fluctuations. You can sell your wheat in advance or all of it or a portion of it for a guaranteed price for delivery in the fall. And it might make it so you make less money, but you have certainty. People who are looking for a side hustle, they have to understand if you're looking for something guaranteed, you're almost automatically capping the amount of value that you can create because the uncertainty associated with creating value by taking on that uncertainty, essentially you put yourself in a position where you can capture the potentially unlimited upside of the value you create. You can capture all of it. Okay, Does that make sense? It does.
0: Maybe what might help is to maybe narrow our discussion a little bit. Because I mean, when you talk about side hustles, it becomes a very wide swatch of topics, right? So maybe I could narrow it, again, selfishly, to more of like the knowledge work type of activity, right? There's a lot of people that are being paid to do a job for a company, and they're good at it. And they may, for whatever reason, have either the desire to do a side hustle based on that same knowledge, whether it's just to get more money or for, you know, as we talked about, you know, backup plans, things like this. So, you know, I have a job, I go to that job, I do that job, but I want to also try to make money off the knowledge that I get paid for in that job by others in a way that doesn't require me to have to have a second full-time job. Right. So knowledge, work. Right? So like, you know, like I talk about it from the communication standpoint, but there's plenty of other things that people know how to do that they could probably help many, many others with if they were to set up some kind of service or whatever properly, like fitness is one that I know is, is a very common one, but like, particularly now, you know, maybe there's, you know, home gardening tip business, right? You know, uh, nutrition, financial planning. I know there's like a lot of like professional financial planners, but maybe there's like a little subset of that in some fashion, you know, like all this sort of knowledge work that can allow you to put value into the world for people that are looking for that knowledge. Again, I'm I'm speaking of people that want to be able to do it, but can't category. Yep. They need to find something It needs to be useful. A large part of it needs to be free to kind of get them to even engage. But then at some point, there's got to be a way to actually monetize it as well.
1: Well, fortunately, it could be free. That's one approach. So let's talk about knowledge work a little bit. And let me use a different example. Tutoring. Hmm. Tutoring. So homeschooling is a big thing. There are platforms where if you want to be a tutor, you can go and sign up and put your credentials. And essentially, they will connect you with people who need tutoring. And it's all done over the Internet. There's, I think there's one called uh, TutorMe. But there's probably a dozen of them out there. Tutor me, I think, pays like 15 or 16 bucks an hour to the tutor. So it's not a ton of money, but depending upon what you're doing, if you have extra time, maybe it could be selling services directly that aren't scalable, you know, but just selling your services directly is the place where most people have to start. So knowledge work and tutoring, you know, selling your services like that through a platform like that could be effective for you. But the platform is always because they are taking the responsibility of distribution away from you, that very expensive cost of essentially distribution, you know, finding customers for you and doing it for you. And they're keeping, mm-hmm. because of the uncertainty of that they're keeping the lion's share of probably the money that's earned. And I mean, if I were to hire a local tutor, I have done that. And it's cost me $60 an hour when I did it for my kids, hiring a local tutor. So, you know, you're getting paid 16 to do it virtually, which I guess gives you flexibility through TutorMe.com, but you're not getting paid nearly as much for it as you would if you're tutoring people locally assuming you can find the clients yourself. Now, I actually hired a virtual tutor not through one of these services but for math for both of my kids over the, all of this last semester, and I paid that tutor $35 an hour. And this was a tutor who was based in Eastern Europe. It was a great arrangement for them because $35 went really far for them, but it cost me half as much as it would have, you know, if I would have found somebody locally here. Plus I had the convenience of just them, you know, the kids sitting down on Zoom with them and going through it that way. You know, so again, that's knowledge work. It's understanding your customer well. There are parents who are having to homeschool kids right now. There are lots of, even if your kids aren't being homeschooled, often kids need tutoring. Their teachers often recommend it for them. It's almost like by default now. They outsource the teaching the teachers do to tutors (laughs) and parents. So anyway, so so that's big and growing. And I think that that's something you could do. The more you can get yourself closer to the customer, the more money you can make doing it, the more value you can create because you're actually finding the customer yourself.
0: Right, so that's an excellent point. So first of all, quickly, how did you find this tutor that you wound up using? Was it through a platform or was there some other
1: way that you did that? Okay, so I found this tutor through a virtual assistant. So
0: now we have another layer.
1: Yeah, so I have a virtual assistant who I pay $1,000 a month to, who is in Eastern Europe, who's American educated, actually went to the University of Colorado Boulder. Her English is wonderful. She does research for me. She keeps total track of all the stuff that's going on with the kids' school. Like there's so much stuff happening with them that I can't keep up with it. All the assignments that they were supposed to turn in, you know, what their grades are, all that. So she keeps track of all that stuff and sends me regular summaries on it and follows up and harasses the kids. And she found this tutor. She keeps a log of all the PR stuff for royalty exchange for us too. Okay, same person. Okay. All right. And she's very, very smart and she's very capable. But how did you find her? She worked for me a long time ago. Oh, okay, okay. She's worked for me off and on for um, 12 years, probably.
0: Got it. Okay, so you already know her. She's your virtual assistant. She then was charged to find a tutor.
1: Yeah, well, here's what's so great about her as a virtual assistant is that she's very proactive. She said, I know a lot of people at the local university here. Maybe I'll ask around and see if I can find a tutor for them. Like She knew that they needed help. She suggested finding a tutor. She found him negotiated the rates and set it all up. That's how good she is. And so the value that she creates to me, even on months when I don't have a lot for her to do, the value she creates by being proactive and looking to solve problems is so significant that I'm willing to de-risk it for her, essentially make a commitment of a number, you know, that I'm going to pay her a certain amount of money every month, regardless of the work that comes her way. You know what I mean? So to make it versus if she was like, Somebody who's on TaskRabbit and doing these one at a time tasks for somebody, right? Right. So because she creates so much value, I'm willing to pay her a lot more. You know, then maybe the hourly rate would be justified. Because she creates way more value than that.
0: Well, and I think what we're all kind of the common thread here between these different things that we've brought up is this idea of as the person who's looking to put their knowledge work into the world for additional revenue, where do you start? Do you start by aligning yourself with one of these Aggregated services where people go to—they know they're looking for something. They've got a choice of different providers of that thing on this service, and then I might be one of those choices. They hire me, but I'm going to make less by virtue of going through this aggregated system that takes a lion's share of the revenue for the distribution component that they provide. Yeah. that might even be a good way to start to even to sort of tweak what your value prop even is.
1: Exactly. I think it is a, if you're just starting, it, it's a great idea to use a service like that because you'll learn what the customers' expectations are. You'll learn that you know how the services tends to be delivered you'll learn what the problems that customers have with it what are the holes that are missing in there and then you can adapt what you're doing and differentiate what you're doing from that you know probably can undercut them the service the platform and pricing and probably can undercut them in terms of delivering much higher quality than what is delivered on average on the platform you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so there's lots of opportunities once you start starting with one of those organizations it can make a lot of sense
0: Okay. That's actually a very interesting point. So if you're in the stage where you're still not sure, you know, you have something to offer, but you're not really quite made the connection between what I can do versus what people need. Sort of stumbling through that in a low sort of capex way, right? Before you start building a big website and start doing all this other nonsense, just start with this and just start doing some actual work and getting some actual feedback from actual paying customers.
1: Exactly. Yep. Okay. Because generating customers is actually really hard. It's really hard unless you know, unless you personally know somebody who needs some help that you can help with today, then you should try and find some other way to shortcut the process and get in front of a customer. And even if it means you're making less money, the learning process you get and the feedback of interacting with a customer can be tremendously valuable and give you then confidence in moving off of a platform, going off on your own to offer these services more directly. Okay. Now I'd
0: like to talk about that next step as well. That moving off the platform more directly, is there anything else before we do so that you want to highlight on the prior stage
1: no no i'll just classify this using the platform is a form of distribution, yes, and so it's the easiest form of distribution outside of you know word of mouth or you know people maybe within your physical network then you know these platforms can offer that distribution but there are as you grow in sophistication and your ability to deliver a service and your experience in delivering that in the sort of endorsements you have from prior customers and so forth, then you can move to more complex forms of distribution. And then at that point, you can definitely capture more of the value you create.
0: Okay. So now switching gears to the next phase, the off platform, your own personalized distribution. I don't know what to call it, right? But like now you're doing your own thing. Now you got your own website, your own shingle, (laughs) right? Up on the web and you're trying to get people to pay. People are searching for what they need and they might, hopefully they'll see, you know, as a list or whatever right? So there's two things that I could think of, and I'm sure there's more, right? That need to be well thought of in this regard. One is how to create your own distribution. How are you going to get your service in front of people looking for that service in a meaningful way? And then two is this idea of what do you provide free to draw people in versus when do you make the switch to trying to charge for something? And again, with an eye towards whatever is being charged for, it's, it's not just more of my time. Right. maybe more access to what I've created, something like that. And when I say I, I mean whoever.
1: Right. So basically that's how do you generate customers and then how do you productize your service? It seems it's right. It's kind of a way to think. Sure. Of okay. So
0: now you're doing for me what I do for you. That's fantastic, man. It's a nice little
1: role. And, so, we just did. And, okay. <laughs> so we talked before about the beef business a little bit. So like in the beef yes. business, this local rancher, you know, he had a product. He wanted to basically get it out to customers. And you know, he wasn't trying to distribute it to Whole Foods or other local retailers. So how does he do it? Well, what he did at first is he he just he went to farmers markets and they're terribly inefficient. But those you could look at those as a platform. You know, they're not terribly effective. There's a cost of being there, you know, at least in time at least that you have to be in a certain place at a certain time, have a certain setup in order to be able to attract customers or whatever. But Ultimately, through that, as a customer is generated, and this isn't true, you can't do this with every platform, but you should always be trying to build your own list of customers along the way. So for a couple of years of going to these farmer's markets, he had a list of about 200 customers who bought from him who would sometimes buy again from him. They would buy somewhat regularly from him. And that 200 was enough then for him to go, you know, these farmer's markets don't make any sense. It's really not worth my time anymore. This 200, you know, if I just focus on this 200 and deliver what they want, that's more than enough for me and ask them occasionally for referrals. And then that puts me over the top. So basically he made the migration from using a platform or farmer's market to basically owning his list and then serving a certain subset of customers and encouraging organic growth from there. So that applies to basically every, no matter what your platform might be. Like some of these platforms, they do not allow you, it's against, forbidden against the rules to take the customer off platform. If you do it, you'll be violating terms of service and you know, they won't let you back in. And you, know, you have to use your discretion of whether or not that makes sense for you to do then. But certainly trying to build a, a list of clients, a list of people who are interested in what you do is really important. So whatever form of marketing you might ultimately do to try and draw people to you and creating your own platform, getting off the other platforms and creating essentially your own that you control, the end goal is always the customer list, having your own customer list. The customer list doesn't have to necessarily be all paying customers. It's just prospects, even people who are interested in what you're doing for whatever reason.
0: And that kind of is a crossover to the other thing, which is the productizing, right? Like a lot of what you can do, you can put out valuable product to use a, a general term, right? whether that's an information, whether that's podcast, whether that's a blog or, you know, or, or whether it's downloadable assets that people can utilize in their own way. There's a lot of stuff you can put out there that's free, that's useful, that can help maybe generate that list Yeah, if people find it. There's a component there that I'm sure we could dig into. But basically, let's kind of get to that point, right? Where they're like, okay, you've got all this stuff, put it out to so people who are utilizing it, they're finding it useful, and it's free. You know, they have to put an email in before they can download it or whatever it is. Then there's, okay, great. Now I've got the list. Like, what am I now going to try to sell this
1: person? Yeah. So initially, you're just trying to sell services. You know, you want to get enough experience just selling the services. Let's use an example, though. But like, what kind of content you send to people? Because a lot of people are like, "Well, I'm not going to write essays," and I, you know, I don't. I want to tutor. Like, do I launch a podcast on tutoring? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's, yes. There's lots of things you could do. I mean, mostly what you want to do is, as you're trying to create a list, you just want to make sure that the potential customers that are out there in the world, if they stumble across you, they know what you do. Essentially, you've raised the flag in some way and said, "This is the business I'm in." You know, this is the kind of stuff I like to do. If it's interesting to you, let me know. Join my email list, follow me on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. So, for somebody who's a tutor, they might talk about like the success with one of their customers, not mentioning their name. You know, one, I'm so proud of this fifth grader who I've been working with all year. They went from, they had this GPA when we started, they just finished their final exam or whatever, and this is what they got. And they're so proud of themselves. And I mean, I, this is why I do what I do. You know, tell them that story a little bit, maybe with a picture. Of their test scores and the changes, maybe with the permission of the parent, a picture of them, you know, holding up their report card. I mean, I don't know, but just like showing people that this is what you give a shit about, uh-huh. this is what you do, this is why you do it, and that content could just be that. So, like, my mom is a dog breeder, and so my mom posts these pictures of her dogs all the time, you know, of the puppies and when there's a new litter coming and and that kind of content. And people who love these types of dogs, you know, they follow that content they want it. They can apparently not get enough of seeing these dogs. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Cause puppies and the internet never go together well at all. Right? Exactly.
1: Right. So, <laughs> but her marketing then she draws customers to her simply by posting pictures of the dogs and telling the story, right. you know, here's this dog's name, Nina and her, she's having she a litter in two weeks, you know, it brings customers to you. So it is important. The reason you want to have a content strategy as part of your business is that It basically gives you an opportunity to organically enter the conversation with potential customers with the things that they're already thinking about, the needs that they already have, and saying, hey, this is what I care about. This is what I do. And that gives them the opportunity to basically move closer to you if they feel like there's something that they can get that might benefit. Now, you can be very tactical about it. One of the things with what we originally hired you as a consultant for us and what you've done for other companies is you have this thing called a messaging matrix where I should let you explain it. Because you can explain it better than I do.
0: It's basically a grid where you have columns based on the audiences you want to talk to, and then you have rows based on the messages you want to say to them. It's like a spreadsheet. Each box in that column will be one of the key messages that you want to make sure you're conveying to that audience, and then some bullet points below each one with some supporting sort of sound bites or details or supporting you know comments and things like that. So and it puts it all in the one spot so that. Whenever you have something to write, or whenever someone asks you a question, you go back to that. And for every, you, know, you might have a million questions asked of you, but you've got basically five ways of answering it right. each time. It just makes it easy. And so this is a very good example because, like, yeah, I could write a bunch of content about how, why you should even have one of these things, or examples of you know interview techniques, or I could talk about people that I've worked with before and whatnot. But what if you had something like that? Whether it's what I do with the messaging matrix, or whether you, maybe you're a tutor and you've got some sort of special System for memorizing whatever, right? And you've created this thing like a messaging matrix-like system for whatever else the other thing. Tips for what you do when you wake up every morning, or you know, fitness. These five exercises every day, whatever it is, right? But you make that available free because people can use it immediately without your assistance. Yep. But if they were to somehow, I don't know, I get, that's what I'm trying to get at. That's free. It's useful. You see that I've provided you with something that you're able to use. But maybe there's the next layer that if you pay for something, you could utilize that tool better.
1: So like let's say if you're if you're trying to talk about your business, your side hustle here. So if you're trying to basically go from the consulting stuff you've done and still do a tiny bit on the side, because you don't have that much time for it.
0: As you well know.
1: Generating (laughs) Exactly. So to generating more income from the knowledge that you have and the value. This is really valuable for people who go through this process with you. It's really valuable for them if they have it enables their internal communication, all their external communication, helps them strategize uh, how, uh, you know, how to develop a PR strategy around it. It's really, really valuable. And most people don't have anything close to it. So first of all, I want to make one observation, which is that in a way you already did productize your expertise by creating this messaging matrix. This messaging matrix is a thing, a system that people can see and touch that Exists without you being right. present. Like, so you could theoretically sell a template for a messaging matrix. Now, would people buy it? I don't know because they wouldn't, they'd have to be convinced of the value of it. Right. And it's probably better used because the value of it is obvious when you use it, especially if you tell the story about it, right. And it can lead to other sales. So, you know, in terms of the communication strategy, the audience building, the list building that you would do. You could make it so that people, by giving you their email address, could download for free this messaging matrix, and that's called a lead magnet. There
0: what you call go. That. Okay. See the
1: fancy terms come out now. Yeah, that's the marketing term for it. So there are probably other terms for it too, but a lead magnet is what I've always called it. Because if someone is really interested in this messaging matrix, then they're probably a good potential candidate for you as a customer in one way, shape, or form. Because you know they're they're obviously want this template essentially to help address a specific communications challenge they have in the company. So it's a good prospect for you. But the question is like if you put that out there alone, is it going to draw enough people to you, even as a lead magnet? Probably not. Instead, you have to incorporate some of that stuff we were talking about with the tutor. You have to talk about here's a press hit that a company got or that I worked with that helped you know whenever so one of the people you work with is in the press, you could use that as an example of how the messaging matrix helped make that a reality you know, and to download a free copy of the messaging matrix, just click here, you know, but I mean, so you use these events that happen with all these big press hits that are all, all have their own interesting story in and of themselves and use that as a way to bring people into your funnel. And in the, in the messaging matrix is a compelling reason for them to then cross over and, you know, actually become a lead, get on your list and then be available for other email from you. Then from there, You know, I'm a big fan of um, like email newsletters and things like that, although they're very, very time consuming to produce one of those every, I mean, really, if you want the best outcome of an email newsletter, it should be daily. And that's obviously a huge task. But if you have a large list on scale, that can be really valuable for you to do it, honestly.
0: And the point of that is just what constant engagement reminder that you exist, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, exactly. Or not. I
0: mean, I'm just curious, like you say, that it, it's valuable. I'm just trying to ask
1: why. It's not a reminder that you exist. It's basically, it's, you naturally build up a level of intimacy with your reader over time. I mean, when you think about it, uh, you develop a sense of connection with them. If you are writing, not sending them marketing materials, but if you're sending them something that's written in your voice, that so it has this authenticity, like you saying it, you know, it's not edited. Well, I mean, it's like you... It's just raw. It's authentically raw. Right. Out. And you basically are talking about something that some basic thing over and over again every day. When I built newsletter companies before, what I would do is basically identify some editorial pillars. You know, these are the four things we primarily believe. And then every day you would basically find something to respond to, which you could point back to, and this is why we believe X. You could basically find in the news essentially an item every single day that would relate to this to your editorial pillars. And you just basically you you know, you just riff off of that. You riff off of the headlines essentially around it. And it's really easy. It's really easy to do.
0: And I just have to say, I mean, again, I I want this I want to get this off of just my personal like idea and whatnot, but your four editorial pillars is kind of your own little messaging matrix. It is, yeah. It's just funny that you said that. I'm like, it's the same thing. It's just called something different.
1: Right. Yeah. And, I, and yours is, but you get a lot more nuanced and it's like, how do you actually say the words right? So it won't be misunderstood. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mine is much more conceptual, I guess. Like, you know, we believe that people should be resilient. I mean, that's one, one of the newsletter companies I started. It was like resiliency and personal responsibility were huge. So it's like, can't count on anyone else to save you. At the end of the day, you're on your own. You can find examples all over the place every day in the news Where people expected somehow that they were going to be rescued, you know, that somebody was going to be making good decisions on their behalf, but actually they weren't thinking about you at all. And you get totally jammed by it. It's really easy to riff off of those stories and people. And then so it's like, and then it goes, and this is why you need to. And then, you know, you could have a product there that you talk about.
0: Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. All right. I love that idea. That's interesting.
1: The weekly or daily editorial is a great way to kind of keep that going. But that's, I mean, for a lot of people, that's really hard. You have to become a professional writer or professional content creator in order to do this. Instead, what you can do, I mean, and I think that's a great approach, honestly, uh, if you can do it authentically and very few can, but if you can't do it, it's good. But the other things that you can do is that you could, by having this lead magnet, by having these things that you give away, you could then offer a higher level Like, let's say maybe creating a product is actually hard. It's like, it's really not clear how you could create a product that would really be effective. So, instead, what you could do, you could charge dramatically more for consulting. So, instead of charging, you know, whatever it would be, if your normal gig, maybe $2,500, you charge $25,000. And so then you don't get as many clients from it, but you get clients that are sold on you and your expertise. And that price point, it doesn't seem like a big deal to them because of the credibility you develop through this editorial strategy you have.
0: And that's actually the point. Like, So what I'm getting at is that you know we started talking about getting a side hustle doesn't require you to work like a second job. So by nature, what you want is to create something that in and of itself sort of generates its own activity, generates its own funnel. You don't want to have 100 or 1,000 customers. You want four. And that's where that higher price point comes in. Right. It's like, okay. I'll help four people out, but I don't want to have to help a hundred people out because that's just going to be having chasing my tail all the time. And I got a real job I got to deal with at the same time. I don't want to come home and just work all night right. as well. Right. You know what I'm saying? Ultimately, you know, you'd love to have something that's an actual product that you're you know buying and shipping that just sort of does its own thing, and you and you do very very little at all. But with this knowledge work stuff, you're going to have to actually provide some knowledge, and that's going to require some individualized attention.
1: Yeah. Now, now of course, you could turn it into a course, like you see on Udemy. And those are mostly really inexpensive courses where you see the stuff that's in masterclass subscription. You get all these different courses. So you can definitely build a course. And I, you know, I built them. Um, you know, it's like how to do certain things. And you, we have a management rhythms blueprint course for early to rise that I created. And it just goes through all these different. Man- and it's part of this early to rise university where there's a whole bunch of different courses in there. And so I, I created that one for ETR. I have no idea how much it is, but you can do that and you can market that course. And there's a lot of information that can be gained from it. I mean, I get testimonials. Craig sends me probably several every month where someone says they just started using GSNR, which is this one on one structure for how to conduct one on one meetings properly. And, you know, talking about the success that they had. And they go, I can't believe we never used this before. You know, and so I could have taught that to somebody on a consulting basis and I have, but, you know, it's, for me to do it, it's not really worthwhile for me to do consulting. Honestly, I just don't have too much stuff to do. So, doing it in the course, I could charge less for it, and more people get more access go. to it. Okay, So, so now we got tiers. So some things you can do that way.
0: All right, so you've got tiers now, okay? So you've got some knowledge, and you've gone through some process of determining the value and the demand for that knowledge. All right, and what I'm hearing here is basically sort of a three levels of product, so to speak, that allows you to put that out there. One is sort of the free useful component, the lead magnet. Yep. Right. It's there, it's free, they download it. There's a transaction in terms of a contact that they need to provide in order to get it, but it's essentially free. Okay. Then, with the leads that you create as a result of that, there's the ability to upsell level one, which is more of like a recorded course or something of, of some kind that maybe helps you utilize whatever that free thing is that they downloaded. Yeah. I'm extrapolating here, it doesn't have to be exactly like that. But anyway, there's, there's like another level that's still low touch for you. You, you created it once, people buy it over and over again. It's a low price point. It's probably not going to buy you a new car, but it's monetizing a step further than just the free asset that you've made available as a lead magnet. And then the final tier is more like, okay, if this is all valuable, but you still think you need more, here's this higher level, more one-to-one interaction that they can then pay for, whether that's one-to-one or maybe I know some of these things are more like seminars or something like that. I mean, it could take a number of different forms, but it's going to be the highest tier of engagement. And what it basically does is that the more of your time that's necessary to deliver, the higher the price point then gets.
1: Yeah, not. it's not always necessarily that way, surprisingly. Uh Sometimes it can be the opposite. The people who pay the most, actually, they don't get a lot of time, but they get stuff that's very, very focused. You know what I mean? If you have a really, really difficult technical problem and you can talk to a leading expert about it who can give you the answer in five minutes. Oh, I see. Okay. But versus giving you a course... We have to just try and discover the answer and see if it's applicable, you'd be happy to pay a hundred yeah. times as much. All right, I get it. So it isn't necessarily that it gets, you know, the, the prices go away. Sometimes the, the higher, like in a lot of times more expensive customers have a totally different expectations than the customers who buy lower products, actually. Like they expect, they expect less, That's a not good more. Point.
0: Yeah, because the thing is, when you talk about time, I hadn't thought of this. When you talk about time, they're just as selfish of their time as you are of yours. So if you could save them time right. by not like, trying to sell them on all this bullshit, I mean, I'm not saying it's all bullshit, but you know what I'm saying. You know If they could say, look, we're going to cut through it all, and in five minutes, I'm going to solve your problem, rather than paying someone else a course that's going to take them three hours to solve it for themselves, Right. I hadn't even thought of that. That's brilliant. What's the analogy of the guy that something wasn't working, the guy hit it with a hammer and charged $10,000, and he's like, why did you charge me $10,000? He was like, well, it was...
1: To know that hitting it with a hammer would work.
0: Yeah, exactly. well, exactly. The hit with the hammer was um, 1,000. The 9,000 was knowing where to hit it or something exactly. like that, right? Like, okay, that's brilliant.
1: I'll say there's multiple different iterations of this, you know, the, these escalations of customers and customer value. And I think that as your business gets more sophisticated, there's all kinds of, like, and you're paying attention to your customers, you can adapt to where the customer perceives the most value and then organize your efforts around that. So it isn't like, none of this should be formulaic. Although there are formulas, you know, that you, you could start from.
0: Start from, that's the foundation.
1: But I think the foundation formula should be that you build a list, you build a list by sharing, you know, raising a flag, explaining what you do, you know, ideally having a lead magnet or some reason that's something really useful that people can easily understand. It gives them a reason to start a closer relationship with you by just joining your email list. Then now you have them there, then, then now you have a responsibility of trying to take care of them you know, create value for them, you know, on on an ongoing basis, not just, you know, send them marketing materials, whatever, but great marketing is actually great. It's the same thing as great editorial, actually. So just great information markets you way better than anything else you could possibly do. And then I think rather than first, especially trying to create a product, I would just build yourself as the obvious expert within a larger audience. And then offer your whatever services you might offer maybe you're tutoring again tutoring you were doing it for $15 an hour maybe there's a specific group of kids like SAT prep type people right where you can now charge $250 an hour instead of $15 an hour you know so by building your expertise in that demonstrating to the people on you know who follow you essentially that that's what you do so the value you're creating is much more understandable and much more obvious to the customer. And so they'd be happy to pay you. I know that some of these SAT preps, they charge thousands of dollars for these.
0: And sometimes hundreds of thousands just to like have someone else take it for you and get <laughs> exactly you back exactly to college. Right. For- <laughs> yeah, I think that's
1: less popular now. All the time. But, but yeah, so like it's build an audience by providing value to that audience, explaining what you do. And then instead of trying to go for the lower value consulting stuff, go for the higher value. If you still need something to pay the bills, maybe. Keep using those platforms mm-hmm. to do some basic, to some service there. Do, do the tutoring on the platform while you're building your own, while you're working to build your own because you're building the customer stories by working on the platforms.
0: Exactly. Because the whole point of this whole conversation was the assumption that people have, they have work they're doing now. They're just trying to utilize some of the free time to kind of create something a little bit extra. It's okay to not have to hustle at it constantly. like that. You have, you're getting paid to do a job or whatever, right? And so this is just like, maybe nothing happens for three months, but when those things do hit, they're meaningful hits, not just, you know, grinding away at it and hits basically. So exactly. But let me, let me close up one thing. This has all been yeah. very, very helpful, but if there's, do you have any suggestions for resources, books, sites, whatever that people can maybe uh, go to from here? Like this, this, we've been talking, which is helpful. And I think necessarily the bigger picture, sort of strategic, you know, conceptual issues here. But if someone's, Utilizing all of that, if, if they have any resources for the real granular step one, step two kind of stuff, is there anything that you would recommend? Again, books, sites, people, whatever.
1: Yeah, there's a, well, first I would, I would recommend a book called The Reluctant Entrepreneur. It's written by a guy named Mark Ford, but he uh, uses his pen name, Michael Masterson. He's actually the founder of Early to Rise, and he's a mentor of mine, and he's brilliant. And he basically believes that you know, the whole idea that entrepreneurs should be like bold, betting it all, putting it all on the line That's totally ridiculous. And most businesses start as most businesses start as side hustles that get traction, and then they become so compelling that you're like, "I'm an idiot not to quit my job. I'm an idiot. I have to quit my job. Like I just can't. I can't afford to keep my job anymore. It's costing me too much money." So that's the way most right. great businesses are built that way. Now, not like not, not, none of the unicorns or any of that stuff, but like most of the real wealth of you know the millionaire next door kind of wealth in America comes from reluctant entrepreneurs. So I recommend that book. I also there's a, a couple of friends of mine who. Really focus on helping people with internet marketing, you know, building platforms and things like that. First one is Ryan Dice. Ryan Dice has a website called Digital Marketer. Ryan does this all day long and knows, you know, has lots of different strategies for developing lead magnets and developing different types of products, you know, recurring products versus you know expensive consulting products. Hmm. So I think he does a great job of that. He's very sp- what, what, what was his last name? Dice. Can you spell that? Dice D E I S S. Okay, because I can see that being you know. a. Nightmare of, a- I think it's EI, yeah, maybe not IE. Ryan Dice, digitalmarketer.com, digitalmarketer.com. And the other guy is somebody on the other side of the world. Uh, his name is James Schramko, Shramko, S H yeah. R A M K O, JamesShramko.com. He's got a great podcast. He has great guests on there to talk about all kinds of strategies from leveraging search engines to outsourcing projects to the Philippines to Building your own platform, you know. He call, I think he calls it your own racetrack, your own race course. You know, owning the race course. Okay, but he's great. Follow both of those guys. I mean, they both have email lists. They both have courses. You know, they both have taken their expertise and put them in courses and sell them, and they're great. So I, I would. All right, no, that's, that. that's
0: fantastic. All right, great. Thanks very much. I think this has been this is helpful. You know me. I have all these like thoughts and like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. And I love the title, "The Reluctant Entrepreneur," because that's. Exactly, where at least I know I am, and I'm sure there's plenty of others that they have these ideas, but they're like, Oh God, do I really need that?
1: The question is, where do you start? And I think the biggest place to start is you want to have an email list of prospects and clients. Like that's the goal you're trying to get to. So, how do you feed that email list? And if that email list is sort of hand curated one that you're generating from a farmer's market, you know, or if it's you generate some viral video that takes off that gets people you know ultimately to come back and get on your email list with that email list you now have a, an asset that's valuable that you can monetize if you treat it well that sounds great
0: and and for a lot of folks it's just the ability to somehow monetize something that naturally interests them is like the ultimate perfect side hustle Exactly. Like, I mean, look, I work for you. I'm not looking to start my own business and quit my job or anything like that. But
1: I want you to have a side hustle. I think it's good for you. I've told you this well, for yeah, a long yeah,
0: time. Exactly. It keeps me fresh. And, and, like, for me, you know, listening to people's, like, what they do and how to communicate what they do, just hearing those stories and talking to those people, it's like being a reporter, getting doing different stories in different companies, going yeah. in, asking those questions, hearing them explain what they do. I've always loved that. I love what we do, but it's like telling the same story over and over again. So, having a little bit of time to kind of talk about these other things in a really low touch way. Actually helps keep me energized for the day to day that I do with royalty exchange. I truly feel that it also
1: helps you explain develop more product like ideas or crystallize your ideas in a more of a product like fashion, which makes them more teachable within our organization so that we get to utilize them too so one of the best ways to learn anything well is to teach it, and so the more often right. you teach these things to other people, the better better it works out for us all
0: right so there's so for those people that are listening and have jobs this is how you explain it to your to
1: your boss (laughs) hopefully there's understanding as i am i mean as an entrepreneur i get it i think people should have it
0: all right great thank you very much uh with that lots of great places to go lots of great ideas to talk about thanks for your time talk to you next time my pleasure thank you you've been listening to the smith sense podcast thank you for joining us If you'd like to read more about Matt's thoughts on this topic and others, please visit his blog at smithsense.com, where you can also read the show notes, leave questions, and join the discussion. If you like what you've been hearing, please give us a rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And sharing it with friends would go a long way. A quick thank you to Russ Rizzo for the show notes, to our engineer Jason Sanderson, and to the wonderful Zoe Keating for the use of her beautiful music. I'm Anthony Bruno, and we've been sharing time with Matt Smith. Have a good week.